This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, all episodes are currently available completely ad-free on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. Just follow the link in our show notes. You're guaranteed to find your new favourite true crime listen. From con men to missing people, forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Every disappearance has its own unique circumstances Sometimes the family and police will have a clear idea straight away Recent events could point to what's happened and give a clue as to where to search But in other cases there's no immediate clue no theory that emerges This episode explores the disappearance of Ezra Oiren, a woman who seemingly had no cause to disappear, but who vanished into thin air. It's a case which some people think could be a tragic suicide, and others believe to be more sinister. A disappearance which leaves Ezra's sister devastated. She looked really happy, and unfortunately she disappeared. And we just don't know what's happened. To this day, we don't know what's happened to her. I'm Pandora Sykes, and you're listening to The Missing, a podcast series brought to you with support from the charity Missing People and investigation specialists Locate International. They believe that all the cases in this series could still be solved. This is The Missing, Ezra Oiren.
It was just after 7am on Wednesday the 23rd of February 2011 when Ezra Oyrin left her home in Cladalkin, Ireland to get in her car to go to the shops. But 38-year-old Ezra never returned home. Her car was found later that evening at Bray Head, a coastal headland about 30 kilometres from where Ezra lived. The Irish police believed Ezra's sudden disappearance was a suicide. But Ezra's sister, Berna, believes otherwise. She is convinced that something happened to Ezra that morning and she won't give up until she finds out what. Over a decade later, with little evidence and a body still undiscovered, the only clues to Ezra's disappearance are some grainy pieces of CCTV footage and a mysterious set of keys. Berna is positive that somebody out there knows something and that maybe this podcast can bring the closure she and her family so desperately want. In many missing persons cases, suicide becomes the immediate theory. And sometimes, tragically, that theory proves to be right. The suggestion of suicide underpins this story, and we won't shy away from it, but it's an explanation that Ezra's sister, Berna, her family and her friends absolutely reject. And you can't establish the likelihood of someone taking their own life without first understanding who they were. Ezra is a very fun, fun-loving people person. She made friends with everybody. She loved people. Um, very artistic. Loved to design, paint, draw. Very family person as well. You know, she liked being close with her family. Would be on the phone to us all the time. She loved people. She was a very jolly person, and you know, she liked pe- making people happy. Berna and her sister were the best of friends. No one knew Ezra better than Berna. I was born in Turkey. My brother was also born in Turkey. He was 17 months. And um, Esra was born here. Oh, as every sister goes, we, you know, you go around the stages of in teenage years when you hate each other because (laughs) it's like, don't touch my clothes, don't touch my makeup. But other than that, we were very close. You know, being the, the, the eldest one, I was mother hen anyway, you know, parents working. I had to look after brother and sister more and um, keep the reins on those two. But we were very close, you know, we'd be on the phone to each other all the time, especially after she moved to Ireland. Four years before Ezra vanished, she moved from her home in a leafy London suburb and relocated to Ireland with her husband, Oishka. She had plans over here, but then he got a job over in Ireland. He got a job offer, better money and everything, and, you know, they decided to go over there. It was more of a, like, um, investment for the future, Oshka had been transferred to a management role by his company, a move that took him to a small town in the south of Ireland. Clondalkin, home to under 50,000 people and easily identifiable by its statuesque round tower in the centre, was a well-known satellite town to nearby Dublin. But it wasn't a move Ezra was particularly thrilled about. At first, Ezra didn't want to go because she didn't want to leave family behind, so she was quite reluctant to go. But then again, it was like, you know, it might be good for our future. After the couple arrived in Ireland, Ezra worked as an administrator in the same company as Oishka, though her mind was never far away from her friends back in England. 
it wasn't the ideal job that she liked, but it was just to keep her busy because what can you do there when you're on your own? She'd be on the phone to us, we would phone her, she would phone us, she would phone her friends. Literally every single day she would be on the phone to somebody. But then Ezra and her husband received some exciting news. She fell pregnant, which she was overjoyed by because she just she was so eager to have a baby. And then of course she then she gave up work and spent time with baby. She became a mum and that was all she ever wanted in life. She wasn't 100% happy in Ireland because she was away from family. She kept on saying to her husband, you need to get a transfer back to London. And he said, well, I've put a transfer request in. When that position's available, then we'll move back. While the couple waited for the opportunity to move back to the UK, Ezra's attention shifted to the increasing ill health of her parents. My mum and dad have always been quite poorly anyway. My dad already had a stroke. You know, he had a stroke in his 50s. And months after Ezra left London, her dad died. She managed to see him before he passed away. And Dad's death was not a shock to any of us. He was very ill for a very long time. He was ill for 20 years. So we, we were all surprised that, you know, he, he survived as long as he did. I mean, she travelled over from Ireland several times when he ended up in hospital, when they said, you know, this could be the last time. You know, she came down when he passed away. Yes, we were sad, obviously. We were sad we lost our dad, but... Also, it was a relief he was no longer in pain because the last couple of years of his life he was living on morphine. He didn't, you know, he didn't know what was happening. So it was, it was a really sad time for him and us as well to see him like that. That was back in October 2010 and Ezra continued to fly back and forth from Dublin to London to support her family as they grieved together. The months ticked by, November, December and before long it was the new year. Ezra asked her mother, Nereman, whether she'd like to come and stay with her in Clondalkin, thinking a change of scenery might be good for her. She said to Mum, you know, Dad's gone as well, why don't you come stay with me for a little while? You know, everyone's coming, knocking and talking about Dad and upsetting you, at least this way, you know, clear your head a bit, stay with me, you can stay with me as long as you like. As Nereman was also not in the best health and a nervous flyer at the best of times, Ezra also invited her mother-in-law on the trip too. She couldn't wait to host them both. She made the arrangements, booked their tickets, uh, and Sunday before she disappeared, um, she called me and she gave me a shopping list of things she'd forgot to get from London. And she said, well, Mum's coming over Thursday. Can you just shove them in her suitcase for me? It was like herbs and spices and stuff. And um, she said, oh, they're going to be here for my birthday on the 1st of March. Um, so I've booked us a nice restaurant. You know, she made all these plans. Nerryman was due to arrive on Thursday the 24th of February. On the Monday before, the 21st of February, Ezra called a friend to wish her son a happy birthday. On Tuesday the 22nd, Ezra bumped into a neighbour as she was taking out the rubbish. And the neighbour said to her, what are you doing spring cleaning in February? And she said, um, the mums are coming over on Thursday, so I'm just getting the house ready. And the neighbour said she looked really happy. 
you know, she she sounded so happy. She goes, she was looking forward to the mums coming over. Her daily life appeared to be running to its normal routine. She was excited, with no obvious concerns. But on Wednesday the 23rd, Ezra vanished without a trace. She disappeared. And we just don't know what's happened to this day. On the evening of the 23rd of February, Ezra's husband, Oishka, called Berna to tell her that Ezra hadn't come home from a shopping trip in the morning and that he believed she was missing. He, he actually called my mum's house first um, to say, you know, had, had anyone heard from Ezra today? Because it got to a stage where he had to speak to somebody, you know, because mum's was due to fly out the next morning. And um, then he spoke to my brother to say, look, I'm getting really worried here. She left this morning. She was only supposed to go to the shop and come back while I got ready for work. So my brother literally said, well, why have you waited so long? And he said, well, I didn't want to worry anybody thinking like she might come back. And then I called the police and they said, I have to wait. Berna called Oishka immediately to try and find out what was going on. That's when he explained to me, he said, it was a normal morning because we all got up, you know, I was just plotting around and I mentioned I wanted to go to the gym that day, that I was going to take the car for the day. And Ezra just turned around and said, you know, well, if you're going to take the car, it's cold. I don't want to go out with the baby. So I'll just go and pick up a few bits I need and I'll come back. You have the car and then I don't have to go out again. So a small window, Ezra nipping out to get a few things from the shop before returning the car back to her husband. But Ezra didn't come back, and she was never seen again. Berna told Oishka to go back to the police with a picture of Ezra and the car registration number. She wanted to help the police in any way possible to track down her sister. She was frantic, panicked. Nothing had ever felt more urgent. And then the police made a breakthrough. They came back about 11 o'clock at night saying the car was parked in Bray. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Bray is a pretty coastal town near Dublin, a picturesque headland that Oishka and Ezra would sometimes visit. It's also a notorious suicide spot. 
I just literally packed a bag, um, went to see my mum, obviously, to make sure she was okay, because she was just in a total state when she heard. Um, and then my brother took me to the airport and I met up with Osgur's mum and we flew over there and we were there Thursday morning. When she arrived, the police immediately told Berna that they believed Ezra had committed suicide. Suicide rates are high in Ireland. Disappearance are even higher. There's so many missing people, but nobody seems to know where these missing people go or what happens to them. Think, oh, well, maybe she was depressed because your father died. Well, hold on a minute, my father died in October. She'd been backwards and forwards to London several times after that. And, you know, someone's going to commit suicide. They're not going to invite their mother over and make plans. And I said, where's the body? You cannot tell me suicide without giving me a body. I said, what did she do? Bury herself. Searches began almost immediately. The mountain area was searched, the sea was searched several times, not just on the first day or the first week. It was like four weeks down the line, eight weeks down the line, you know, four months down the line. We had volunteers come from everywhere, walk all the mountain areas near Bray, but nobody found anything. Not even a scrap, you know, a scrap of material that might have fallen off, nothing. When a loved one goes missing, the possibilities of what might have happened to them close in and take hold. Without answers, the questions become all-consuming. At first it was like, well, did she run away? Why would she run away? If she's going to run away, she's going to take her charge. She's got a house in London. She'd come back to her house in London. It just, none of it makes sense. And considering that we were all so close with her, if she had major issues, she would have told us anyway. So we don't believe any of that. You know, you always play the worst scenario in your head that she's been taken somewhere, she's been kept somewhere, or she's been murdered and she's been buried and we, we don't know. Because if my sister was alive, she'd, um, she'd find a way to, to make contact. As soon as Berna arrived in Ireland, she started putting up posters. She wanted to make Ezra as visible as possible. She wanted to make sure that people who had seen her came forward so that she could piece together Ezra's last known movements and make sense of what was happening. Every shop that in that area knew her because she would literally, even the charity shop, because she'd go in there, buy scraps of material because she liked to design things and make things. And when we walked in there, the woman goes, she used to come in here every other day and we'd just sit here, have a cup of tea together and the baby would run around the shop and, you know, everybody knew her. She was in the baby, mum, mummy, baby groups. She knew all her neighbours, all her neighbours knew her. So everyone was shocked. Berner took her search further afield too, 30 kilometres east to Bray, to the exact spot where Ezra's car was found. I would get there in the morning after half seven with my cup of coffee, sit on the wall where her car was parked, where her car would have parked, been parked in front of me. And I watched to see who came by and how many times these same people came every morning. Berna spent much of the time watching the car park where Ezra's Renault Twingo had been found and trying to speak to as many people as she could in the hope that they might have parked their car there on the 24th of February and that maybe they'd seen Ezra's car. 
90% of the time it was the same people every single morning that came out to do their jogging between those hours and they even stopped to say are you okay we've seen you but you're just you know and they would stop and talk to me and I and I would be handing out the posters to say my sister's car was parked here and they'd say you know what we never saw because if we saw this woman she would stand out to us she would be a different face somebody would have seen and recognized her and you've virtually spoken to everybody that's come past you go she goes because I've noticed it in the last week that you've been doing this so that's why I always question like did she ever get to Bray because all those regular morning people all said they never saw her Berna was there so frequently that the owner of the adjacent Star Amusement Arcade began to look out for her the manager at the time, he watched me up and down with posters, stopping people, talking to them and stuff. And he'd come and bring me cups of coffee and said, you know, you're going you're gonna to kill yourself. But Berna was undeterred. She kept on with her mission. But there were never any reported physical sightings of Ezra. And police couldn't find any CCTV of Ezra on the morning of the 23rd of February to definitively establish where she'd been. However, some grainy footage of a car did emerge. A grey Renault Twingo, the same make and model as Ezra's, which was caught on camera, making its way from Kadalkin to Bray. But that CCTV footage raises more questions than it answers. The one CCTV footage they have of my sister's car coming down the strand in Bray, there is no image. You cannot see if there's a driver, if there's a passenger. They had the oldest system going and it's just a complete blur. And the only reason we know it's her car is because the shape and model. You can see the car driving down the strand, it comes then past this one camera that's watching the road. And that one camera is on a swing motion, so it doesn't actually watch the car park she goes into. But Berna's newfound friend, the manager of the nearby amusement arcade, gave her an unexpected insight. Another camera was keeping watch of the car park. He said to me, I want to show you what we've sent the police. He goes, I'm not supposed to, but I'm going to show you anyway. So he took me up to the camera room and he played the footage back of their CCTV picking up Esra's car coming in. You can see the side of her car and you can see the baby shield that you can have in the back seats. The car passes the camera and disappears into a blind spot. So far, nothing remarkable. He goes, but carry on watching. Then it comes back and passes their cameras again and leaves the car park. Why would she leave the car park? And where was she going? Then her vehicle gets spotted again, coming out of Convent Avenue, back onto the Strand. And as her car came out, it was a near collision with the Skoda Octavia. The Renault is seen pulling out in front of a red Skoda Octavia before tucking behind and then following the car at speed. What was it doing? Minutes later, the car returned back into the car park, where it was later found by the police. What we can't understand is 
the erratic driving, because that's not her. She wasn't an erratic driver. She was quite a nervous driver. She would have, she wouldn't have just literally pulled out into a road, or if that had happened, then she wouldn't have gone bumper to bumper behind the Skoda Octavia as if it was chasing. So it just didn't, it didn't seem like her driving at all anyway. Was it Ezra behind the wheel of the Renault Twingo which was caught on camera that day? Or could it have been someone else? Nobody saw her come in or out of that car. Berner and her family have scrutinised the timings of Ezra's day. Oishka remembers his wife leaving the house around 7.20 in the morning. But the first CCTV sighting of the car is at 7.50, on a roundabout which is only a four-minute drive from Ezra's home. Of course, Berna has to consider that Oishka's memories of that morning might not be 100% accurate. You know, he, he could have been 10 minutes out here or there. But the thing is, if he's going to leave work at 8 o'clock, he couldn't have been that far out from his timings. You know, they're saying, oh, the timings on the cameras might have been out. And I said... Again, it couldn't have been that far out because he needed the car back by eight. So what happened in the 30 minutes between Ezra leaving the house and Ezra getting to the roundabout? So our question's always been, did someone stop her on the road? Or did she, you know, did she get flagged down? Did something happen that she had to stop the car? Was she taken at that time? Was, did someone else give, get into her car and just drive it and dump it in Bray? There's also another mystery wrapped up in Ezra's car, which hasn't yet been explained. We found her purse in the boot of her car. And I said, what's her purse doing in the boot of her car? We're not talking about a big handbag, we're talking about a purse, smaller. It's one of those little tiny purses that you would put cards into and folded money. She was only supposed to go to the shop. So in there was her bank card, her driving license, and about 60 euros just folded in there. So why would you put that in the boot of your car? Unless you were in the boot and it fell out of your pocket. In 2013, Ezra's case was featured on Crime Call, the Irish police appeal show. The programme included some blurred CCTV footage of a confused-looking woman around the same height as Ezra leaving the Bray car park in the direction of the cliff walk. Berner does not believe the woman was Ezra and is convinced that footage was used to bolster the police's story that Ezra committed suicide. They said, oh, look, this woman may be your sister because she was quite tall. Could that be your sister? And I'm looking, I'm looking, and I'm thinking, no. When the woman started walking, a little dog did run by and she was waiting for her dog. She wasn't just standing there aimlessly. She was waiting for her dog, but they made it sound, well, made it look like on the Crime, crime Watch programme that that was my sister, and then she just walked off into the mountains and committed suicide. On the first anniversary of Ezra's disappearance, Berner went back to Ireland to speak to the press and put new posters up in the area. She expected it to be an uneventful trip, that was until she flyered one shop in particular. 
The man came out the chip shop and started running towards us. I have your sister's keys. At that time, I just felt a hot rush as if I had boiling water poured over my head. The man brandished a key ring. It had a picture of Ezra and her baby on one side and Oishka on the other. And he goes, and we were just sweeping the floors, tidying up. He goes, and I saw a set of keys on the counter. The shopkeeper picked them up and put them on the hook. It was only later when a female employee said, Whose keys are these hanging up here? On closer inspection, he realised who the keys belonged to. He goes, and I put them in my office in a can, waiting for you to come. Bernard informed the guarder straight away, and Oishka was asked whether the keys could have belonged to Ezra. He said, quite possibly, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they are our keys. So Ezra's keys, found in a shop close to Ezra's home. How had they got there? When had they got there? Had Ezra been in the shop before she went missing and dropped them? Or had they been lost days earlier than that? Or had they been dropped there after Ezra went missing? Because of the time elapsed between the keys being found, nearly three months by that point, and due to the shopkeeper's wish to give them directly to Burner, any CCTV of how they came to be in the shop has long since been erased. So we had no, no proof of who left them there. That does baffle me, actually. I, I can't come up with a scenario for that because her car is in Bray, the keys turn up near her house. This is why the, the time difference near her house, the suspicion around that gets stronger with me because if someone had abducted her or taken her from nearby and had those keys and dropped them afterwards, it could have been local. It's just another theory in my head. I can't put point fingers at anybody because I have no proof of anything. But it was just very, very strange. It's now 10 years since Ezra disappeared. The toll her absence has taken on the family is immeasurable. My mum, well, she's had a stroke, she's had cancer. Um, she's holding on for dear life for news, to be quite honest with you. My brother had a massive heart attack. Although he doesn't talk about it, it all stems from stress. I mean, I'm not very well myself, but I'd, I'm a different matter. I try and keep it strong, you know, for the rest of them. I can't tell them that I'm going down as well because then it'll, like, the ship will, ship will sink, won't it? So, yeah, I try and keep it strong for the whole of them. But even Berna's strength was tested in 2015 when she was confronted with the possibility of her worst fears. I can't function if I think any other way that she's been kept somewhere or she's been tortured or she's been used in, you know, in ways. Um, he goes, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. In 2015, a man named Graham Dwyer was convicted of the murder of Elaine O'Hara, whose Fiat Punto was found abandoned in 2012, close to the area where Ezra's car had been found. 
I had the press phoning me, oh, this body's been found, a woman in her, you know, late 30s. And it was in, it was near, not too far from her home. Um, could it be Ezra? It was in the press before it actually, I was told. It's torture to go, go through things like that. The similarities of these circumstances prompted Berner to ask the Garda to investigate a link between the cases. Obviously, this woman knew her killer anyway. And then it went front page of newspapers. Could he have also killed Ezra? I was, I'd just gone over to Turkey for a couple of weeks um, to visit some family over there. And of course, I, sw- I switched my phone off um, for the flight. And when I came and landed and put my phone on, I had about 15 missed calls. It was like friends in Ireland saying, have you seen the front of this newspaper? And I said, you know what? Although it's not the news I want, I said, it's got the publicity out there for more people to look and think, oh God, this woman's missing too. It was soon revealed that Elaine and Dwyer had been involved in a violent relationship and that Dwyer had been fantasising and verbalising his desire to kill Elaine for some time. And so investigators discounted a motive for Dwyer killing anyone else. But that didn't stop the press from suggesting a link between the two women. I spoke to the press and I said, well, you know it's not my sister. I don't appreciate her name being put all over the place without confirmation. It hurts, obviously it hurts, but, you know, I'd rather that than nothing. At least more people, you know, it might one day somebody who hasn't seen the story will see it and think, you know what, I know what's happened. Or maybe loyalties will run very thin and someone will actually talk. For the Irish police, Ezra's case has been scaled back. They're not actively searching and won't unless new information comes forward. We've done appeal after appeal after appeal and still nothing has come of this. We're just desperate. We're desperate for a form of closure. Berner implores anyone with information or insight to please come forward. Somebody is not going to just disappear off the face of the earth and nobody's seen or heard. Somebody definitely knows. We just need them to dig deep into their conscience and, you know, come and tell us. I've got a Facebook page. I've got Twitter. They can send me private messages. They can go straight through the confidential lines to the guardies. They can go through any of these organisations if they if they wanted to stay anonymous. But we just need someone to come forward with the right answers for us. Whatever happened to Ezra, her family just want answers, and they hope that listeners will help them by sharing the story keeping the case alive, to find out finally what happened to Ezra on February the 23rd, 2011. We've put the details of this case on our website, themissingpodcast.org. On there you'll find images and details, not just for this case, but for every case we featured on the show. There's also links where you can share vital information on these cases with the experts at Locate International. They've set up a team to investigate these cases and explore any information that comes in. And you'll find more information about the charity Missing People, who work tirelessly to support the families of the missing. 
Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you've been affected by anything in this episode. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. The executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, you can listen to them exclusively on What's the Story Crime. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime.